That is my intention. We have a lot of ground to cover, and so we will get on our little horse and ride. So you guys can cycle as we're talking up through the donut line here. Notice some of the jackals have already left from their seats. Um, last week, from last week. Okay, it's not last week. There's going to be a couple of typos. It wasn't last week. It was a few weeks ago. And also in the bulletin, we have our first error in the 2020-2021. So we forgot to put 2021. So if you've already caught that, good on you. From a few weeks ago, uh, we looked at the consequence, the chief consequences to the treason, the rebellion, the sin in the garden. Uh, we looked at the curse upon the serpent, uh, not just upon the a- animal, but upon Satan, the fallen angel. Uh, we know that like uh, a mighty fortress sings like Martin Luther wrote his doom is sure uh, because of the prophetic word that God gave in Genesis chapter 3 but we also know and understand that we are going to endure conflict with him until that day there will be conflict with the evil one he wants nothing more than to see God's people, God's plan, God's purposes destroyed, thwarted, ruined, stained, soiled in any way, shape, or form. We noticed also in chapter 3 that Eve received consequence for her sin, but not particularly a curse. Because she was deceived into her sin and wasn't merely a volitional, willful treason. Her consequence would be pain in childbearing. Her consequence would be a desiring in her soul for authority within the home. So we see conflict at the outset between a husband and a wife. And Adam was cursed also, but not in his flesh. Adam was cursed in the ground. The earth now became cursed because of Adam's treason. Uh, And at the same time, physical death was reaffirmed to him that he would die. He would go into the dust of the earth. And so that brings us here to the wrap-up, the last few verses of Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read 20 through 24 and pick up from there. Somebody be willing to read those? 20 to 24? I will. Thank you. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay. 
So as we go into this section, as we've kind of gone into all of the sections, it's important for us to kind of be goobers a little bit and think about what kind of language this is. So as Sarah read that to us, as we heard it, what kind of, what kind of writing is this? What genre? What genre for those of you who like to read books? It's historical. Okay. Historical narrative. Yeah. Historical narrative. Okay. As we read it, there, and again, Hebrew poetry and English poetry, American, American, American poetry is, a little, is different, but we don't get a feel or a sense for this being poetic. It seems like very straightforward narrative. This is what God is telling us. So that is how, then, we should read that. We should read that fairly straightforward. Um, as we look in these chapters of Genesis, and this is one of the reasons in 2020, 2021 now, um, we went back to this because the world is trying to conform Christians to its thinking. Satan, the prince of the power of the air, the one who has authority, Jesus Christ says, on the earth at this time, is trying to ruin God's purposes and plans. And so Paul tells the Roman church in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's not something weird and mystical. That is, as a believer, as he's writing to believers, our minds should be thinking God. Our minds should be thinking God thoughts. What does God think? What is God saying about these kinds of things? So as we go back, we've got to be careful and make sure that we seek God's voice to understand these things. And again, I don't have to, I don't have to hold up a funky glass to my, my Bible to make the words, the real words pop out. It's there. It's there to be read to us. And so as Christians, we must be willing in humility to submit ourselves to the guiding and leading of the Holy Spirit in this. So some of the first things we see is that Eve was named. Prior to this, she was referred to as, much as Adam was, she was referred to woman. Referred to as woman, Isha. Isha. So husbands, if you want to call your wives Isha, it's a beautiful, beautiful word. Isha, you are my woman. Adam was referred to as Adam of the earth, man. Man. Adam never got a different name. It was always Adam. Eve is renamed as the mother of all the living. We looked last week after the consequences at verse 21 that God made a covering for Adam and Eve. Eve and Adam had already tried to make their own covering. What did they make their coverings out of? Big leaves. Okay. Big so, leaves are not very big. Okay. You have to sew a lot of them together. Okay. <laughs> How's that going to last? It's not going to last. So why does, why does God provide them 
a covering. Does he have to? Hmm. So what is that? Yeah, well, yes, because it's in his character. Okay. Technically. Grace. Grace. But no one's twisting his arm. Yeah. 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 God's not under compunction. Okay, little rats. You know, that's that's not his attitude. God, in his grace toward his creatures, provides them a covering. Okay? One that will last. What is, how does, where... Where did he procure this? Eddie Bauer? Amazon. Yeah. Where did he get this? What does that imply? He killed it. We have the first death here in Scripture. The first physical death in whatever animal or animals that God killed to provide a covering for Adam and Eve. This also portends, looks forward to a permanent covering. You know, God is covering our shame and our nakedness. God is covering our treason in a manner. And we see also that in the future he will provide a permanent covering. Something that will cover our sin. Not merely hide it, but will cover it over. Will eradicate it. Nailed to the cross. Our sin. Grace. And this little statement is just oodles of God's grace. Right there. Now... It's important to understand, too, that we want to put fig leaves on and come before God and go, hey, it's okay because I made fig leaves. Mm -mm. We don't approach a holy, righteous, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent creator on our terms. We don't. Who are you, oh man? Paul says. Who are you, oh man? We have no right to boldly enter the throne room of the living God. It's like Esther. You know the story of Esther. Some of you do. Where she went in to the throne room of the king. That was punishable by death unless the king extended his scepter to her and allowed her to come in. She came in on his terms. This is, you know, that's, a, that's a little measly earthly king. This is the living God. We are now sin-stained we cannot come unless he extends his grace to us. And he does so in skins. And he does so in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ that we can now, as his children restored, can come boldly before the throne of grace.
So, you know, you see as a consequence, and we'll get to this a little bit later, that the world is going to keep trying to put fig leaves on itself and restore its relationship to have kind of, oh, I'm a spiritual person, I believe there's a God, and I pretty much do what I want. Yeah, no. That's audacious. How dare we? So, moving on here. They get evicted. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Who's God talking to? Himself. Himself. <laughs> himself. David. David's going like this. Yeah, himself. Lest he become like one of us. Okay? Um, or he has become like one of us in knowing good and evil, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree and eat and live forever. Okay, how has man become like God? The only thing that they are by God in is that they know the difference between good and evil. Okay. Now you guys missed a lot of the classes. Always interesting you guys getting kind of inserted in here. Did they know good and evil? We talked about this, so. Did they know the difference between good and evil before they ate? Are you implying that eating of the fruit only made them, like, was, it gave them the way to have sin, or is that what you're implying? I'm implying nothing. I'm just asking a question. Did they know good and evil, the difference between good and evil before they ate? Well, they Yes. Absolutely. So, so they knew this was right, this was wrong. So therefore, this is evil. If he says, don't eat from that, then they go, oh, that's, that's up. It's what we talked about, though, with the difference between experiential knowledge and head knowledge. Okay, so they know it cognitively. Yeah. They know it up here. They, they comprehend it. But have not yet experienced it. Okay, they have not experienced it. Okay, so now they have experienced it. They have a fuller knowledge of good and evil. Is this a good thing? No. No, of course not. Now, who has the most comprehensive, fullest knowledge of good and evil? God. God does. And yet God has never done evil. He has never done evil. He has had evil done to him constantly. So he has experienced it on the receiving end. But he knows evil and how bad evil really is in a, in a far fuller way than even us sinners who rolled in it like a dog know it. He knows it far more comprehensively. And so man has become in a way like God in that he has a greater knowledge of evil. We know, know now looking back 
that that knowledge is not a good knowledge to have. So let me ask you, are there some things in this world right now that you probably should not know about or experience? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not going to list the what's and the wherefores. This is a dark and wretched place. There are things of great beauty and things of great wickedness. And sometimes they come through the same gate. Got one in my pocket. Good and evil. Let me just ask the question. Are there some things in your life that you wish you could A, unsee, B, undo, or C, unknow? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So... Some people will say, ignorance is not bliss, ignorance is just ignorance. I say, that's a lie. That is a lie. Sometimes ignorance is a good thing. I can be aware of something without having to wade into it up to my nostrils. Well, I think of like your children before you have to explain certain aspects of the world to them, and it changes heartbreaking when you have to explain certain things and why certain things happen. And you say before that, like, it takes away a piece of that innocence. Innocence, yes. That innocence is, is gone. Um, so what, what this gets down to for each one of us here is am I going to trust God and his word? Am I going to trust God and his word? This, this goes right back to Eve. Did God really say? Yes, he really did say. Satan is trying to plant in each one of us that pebble in our shoe where God is, he's, he doesn't really have your good at heart. He doesn't have your good in mind, he's got some ulterior motive. He's trying to keep something from you. Well, why are we here then? I mean, God could have just smote Adam where he was. Yeah, absolutely. We wouldn't even be here. goes back to God's grace. But Satan is going to try and convince you that the instruction of your parents, they're trying to keep something from you, Caleb. They, they really don't have your good. They don't understand you. They don't understand what it means to be a teen in 2021. They're old school. You know, if you don't think that way, if you don't feel that way, you will. Because that is the lie that is, was told to each one of us when we were growing up. Our parents are just old. They don't get it. They don't understand well, these new technologies, well, this, well, this. 
God's trying to keep something from you. No, God really cares about you. God really loves you. God cared so much about Adam and Eve that he banished them from the Garden of Eden. You may not look at that as an act of grace. It is an act of grace that God banished them from the Garden of Eden. Why? Okay, how would they live forever? The tree of life. The tree of life. Go, ooh, this is very, this is like Narnia or something. This is Narnian, uh, this tree of life. The tree of life is spoken of, the actual tree of life is spoken again at the end of the book, Revelation chapter 22. So if you'll flip there, here briefly. Revelation 22. The end of the book. Here we are at the very beginning of the book and we go to the end of the book. 22 verse 1. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Oh, by the way, that is in the new Jerusalem that came down from heaven. Through the middle of the street... Of the city and also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Ooh. What is it about the tree of life? I don't know. But it says, God says that if they were to eat of the tree of life, they would live forever. Yes, because if you are now stained by sin and now you live forever, you live forever in your sin. One of the great blessings of death, we go, is there any blessing in death? God considers precious the death of his saints. Interesting verse. One of the blessings of death is that we will sin no more. We will sin no more after we die. Hopefully for you that will be a greater relief than the pain that you endure in this life. So God banishes them from Eden. How serious was he about this banishment? Serious enough that he guarded it. With what? Flaming swords. A flaming sword? Cherubim. Cherubim. Okay. How many? Very good. (laughs) Cherubim. I am. Again, whenever you see the I am, it's plural. So there are cherubs. He would say cherubs. There's a bunch of cherubs there. How many? I don't know. A lot of people, when they think cherub, they think the painting of Raphael with the little angel with wings, little fat, pudgy baby. No, no. The cherubim were in the throne room of the living God and were terrifying. Ezekiel, let's see, I'm getting ahead of myself. Ezekiel chapter 10. If you want to read 
Ezekiel's awesome vision of the throne room of God and the cherubim that were there. No, they're no, not cute little pudgy baby angels. No, they're warriors stationed. There's nobody going back into Eden there. So, where does this leave man? We've talked a lot about what you'll see on your sheet as we go along here, these things. But the, as I started the study today, the entire reason we have come back to Genesis, I went through this study about eight, nine years ago, is because so much has changed, even in eight and nine years, as far as what you are going to be indoctrinated with day in and day out, on the television, in the radio, in the movie theaters, amongst your friends, at work, at play, nonstop, day in and day out. So where does this leave man at the end of Genesis chapter 3? Man has an absolutely wrecked relationship with the living God. They're out. God and his grace covered them. But they no longer are walking in the intimacy of fellowship with God that they did in Eden. So how is it then that man can relate to God? Uh, next week we're going to get into the story of Cain and Abel and they brought offerings. They brought offerings. Whose offering was accepted? Abel's was accepted. Why was it accepted? It doesn't say. It doesn't say. Cain's was not accepted. It doesn't say. Well, we go, well, God's really capricious. Then, no. Again, who are we to go before the living God? On whose terms do we go? On his terms. So did they merely understand that, you know, we, we've, we're a mess. You know, we're one generation into this and we're a mess. God provided us a skin. Maybe it's a sacrifice of animals. Maybe logic went into this. Uh, maybe God told them. We don't know. It doesn't say. But we do see that Abel's was accepted and Cain's was not. And so we at least see that they are somehow, some way seeking after God. They're, they're desiring this thing back to them. It's interesting in Cain's bad offering, Cain, after his offering was rejected, what, what, what was Cain's attitude? Hatred, right? Not yet. We're not there. What'd you say? Towards God. He was angry. He was angry. Able. Always able. You can see a little brother doing this. <laughs> they were little at the time. Probably. But God didn't even leave him in his anger. God calls out to Cain. Hey, hey, dude. Hey, Cain. Sin is crouching at your door. It wants to master you. 
but you must master it. God doesn't, God doesn't go, whoa, whoa, this is going to be interesting. God says, stop. Stop. There's a train coming. Ding, 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 ding. And Cain goes, goes driving across the tracks. God gives him a warning. Why does he do that? We see, you know, you go a few pages and chapters into Genesis and you see the humble in heart. The humble heart. The humble heart knows it's broken. The humble heart is just going, I am a mess. Oh God, I cry out to you. That's the humble heart. The humble heart is not, oh, I've got it all together. No, the humble heart is constantly going, I'm a mess. Praise God. Praise God that he calls me by name because I'm a The more spiritual I become, the more of a mess I see that I really am. Because all those little sins that I ignored before are now magnified all the bigger because I see each little micro sin as a stain against my relationship with God. Because it is. It is. And I keep going back to God. So the humble and hard are going to go back to God. Uh, in chapter 4, of Genesis verse 26, we see that the people began to call upon the name of the Lord in this time frame. In chapter 5 and verse 24, we see that there are men who seek after God. Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. Why does it say that he walked with God? He says he had these children and walked with God for 300-something years, but it doesn't say anybody else walked with God. You're right. Does that imply nobody else did? No, I don't think so. But in this lineage that he's tracing out, Enoch had a relationship with the living God. He walked with God. He sought after God. He lived his life desiring to please and honor God. Is that implying that nobody else did? Nope. Nope. So how can we he just, he say just had a special relationship. Yeah. Yeah. But it highlights it highlights that. Now when you get to Noah, you see the same thing where Noah was seen as righteous before God, and God destroyed everybody else. Everybody else. The wickedness of man was great in the earth. But this, so this, these individuals that are cited here are a peculiarity. And we see that in the rest of scripture. Broad is the way of destruction. Narrow is the way of life. And few find it. Few. So if you are a daughter of the king, if you are a son of the king today, you are an exception. 
That is why God calls us to stand at the gate and go this way, not on the highway. This is the, this little gate right here. It looks brambled and covered. No, this is the way. Don't, don't be going that way. The wickedness of man was great in the earth. If you want to read about the wickedness of man, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. The earth now, from the end of Genesis chapter 3, stands condemned. That is why when we read John 3.16, we should really keep going. Because in verses... 17 and 18, John writes, God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world. Jesus Christ did not come to condemn the world. Why not? Because he loves us. We were already condemned. Yeah. We're condemned already. He didn't have to do that. The sentence of death was pronounced way back in Genesis chapter 3. We were condemned already. And in fact, he goes on to say that. But in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Okay, You're already condemned. Here's your hope. Here is your one way. And some people will go, you know, oh, you know, you guys are so narrow. You're so narrow-minded. But if you are on a, a sinking ship, you are on a sinking ship, and you're, on, you're, you're deep in the bowels of the ship, there's only one guy who knows the way out. You think it's that way, and he's going, no, it doesn't look like it, but we're going to have to go underwater here, under this bulkhead, and up the other side. That's the way to go. You're going, you're nuts. The guy goes, no, I've been there. I've seen it. it it's the only way of escape. You go, no, man, we've got passageways all over here. We're going to go this way. You're doomed. Okay. Is that guy being narrow? No. He's, he's got the way of life. It is the only way of life. It is the only possible way of salvation. It is the only way. It is only by the name of Jesus Christ that man may be saved. Only. There's only one sacrifice for sin. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He paid the penalty, paid it all. It is done. So we turn to him or not. Didn't have to con condemn the world. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, it talks about Noah building the boat as a condemnation to those who were in the world. Noah's building the boat was a condemnation to them all. God is going to save some. They're like, there, whatever. What a goob. What a fruit loop. He was building a boat. Look at you see the size of that boat. It's huge. What a nut job. No, it was the only way of salvation. So what we see here in this broken relationship with God is that man wants to come up with his own way. I've got my own passageways. I'm going to go. You know where it's going to lead? Right into hell. Right into hell. False religions. Atheism. Man's relationship with God is broken. I got nothing for you. You aren't even there. 
I'm going to say you don't exist. Romans 1 says they are denying what they already know. They know it, but they're just saying he doesn't. I can't see you. I'm holding my hands up. We've been highlighting this in some of the things we've watched on television here. The world is supremely interested in spiritual things and in death and the afterlife and what is to come. And you watch the world deal with it and almost everything is satanic. It is man-oriented or turning to dark arts and the occult for eternal life. Man's relationship with God is broken at this point. But there is the promise of restoration and a gracious God who is looking after his creatures. Man's relationship with the world is broken. How hostile is nature? Now, potholes. Somebody have to create potholes? Why, why, why do potholes happen? Because the world is broken. Because the world is broken. Potholes happen because the world is broken. Why do you have to fix your house? Because the world is broken. Why do we have tornadoes? Because the world is broken. Thank you. Absolutely. Earthquakes. <laughs> and so, now notice this. Does the world know that something is wrong? Yes. They try to deny it. No. What's their solution? Yeah. What's have, you can go to school to try and write these wrongs. Okay. Get degrees in it. What do we have to do? We need to stop burning the rainforest. That's it. If we just let the rainforest go, everything will be good again. Greenhouse gases. We need to stop greenhouse gases and go all solar. All electrical. You know, so we see that the world knows that something's goofy with the world. Humanity understands that, man, wouldn't it be nice if, the, if, if things weren't like this? So even their heart is calling out to a time where there will be full restoration. And we try to come up with solutions here to the problem. I'm sorry, but you're not going to stop hurricanes. You're not. I mean, we can go back to the Stone Age, and there's still going to be hurricanes. Does this mean that we can just trash the world? No. Why not? Because we're called to be stewards. That was never rescinded. That command of the living God that we are to have dominion and stewardship over the world was never rescinded. And so we must still be stewards of the world. Okay? That means we get to use it for good. 
for our good and our prospering and our flourishing. So we have to have a balance that we can, yes, use this stuff for good, but we are not to trash the place. Man's relationship with the world is broken. We get it. The world has no clue why this is. They don't get it. Our bodies are broken. Ain't that right? Yup. Okay. I'm sure most of you have experienced some malady or pain in your life. Our bodies are broken. You were conceived with a death sentence. You were born to die. You were conceived with a death sentence. When are you going to have to walk the green mile? You don't know. You don't know when they're going to come and get you. You don't. None of us does. But our bodies are broken from the womb through life. An important thing to comprehend, though, is this is not just random. Okay, you may not want to see this verse, so I'll, I'll put a warning. I'll put a warning out right now. If you don't want to see this verse, cover your eyes. And a Bible teacher once said, if you don't like that passage, just tear it out of your Bible. No, no. He, was, he said that in jest. God said to Moses, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf? or seeing, or blind. Is it not I, the Lord? Our bodies are broken. But what does this tell us? So I shake my fist at him? Why did you make me this way? Why did you make me broken? Why is my brother stone deaf? Why can my brother not smile? Why is my brother now an invalid? Because of sin that our forefathers did. This says God did it. He punished us because we sinned. So he's punishing my brother? In a way, yes. Uh, good. Yeah. No. No. Johnny Erickson. Did God know that rock was going to be under the water when she dove in and hit her head on the rock and snapped her spine and became a quadriplegic? She wouldn't have done it otherwise. Well, did God know? Oh, did God know? I think you said her. Did God know? Yes, God Yeah, sure did. Sure did. Knew that rock was there. Why? Why does God do this? He allows it. For his good pleasure. For his good pleasure. Yeah. We want to excuse God, Dave, and we, we want to excuse him. Go, God wouldn't do that. You know, he's he. Well, it goes God, against our human, like we know the character of God, and then we see we try to put human definitions to him. Okay. So like we're like, well, my human definition of good, that's not, you know, that doesn't relate to my human definition good. of good. Good. And Piper says, and the book we did. 
Yes. So it's in his will to permit it. What, what truth can I know? God is absolutely sovereign. Absolutely sovereign. Did God cause evil? No. No. So the source of evil in the world is not God. He cannot be indicted for that. Can God then use the evil that is in the world for good? Yes. Can he do that even through what we would call evil circumstances? Through hurricanes and blindness and deafness. Can he do None his good? Are evil. Huh? None of those things are actually evil. evil is, I mean, tornadoes and hurricanes are not evil. They have no... They are, they are, most people would call them a natural evil because of their destructive nature. They only happen because the world is broken. That's true, right. Like a lion. A lion mauling somebody, we would call that a natural evil. It's not, it's not in and of itself. I mean, it's a lion being a lion. But the tragedy of a human being dying from that, it's a different, that's a whole other, we're going to talk about that another time. But it's something we would look at as not good. And we don't go, we don't go, oh, neat, another tornado. And you don't, unless you're a storm chaser. Go ahead, please. Well, when, you, when you say things, if you say, like, I, get, I get what you're saying, like to say natural evil. But when we did a study over if God is good, um, I remember you, we talked about that if, People who have very little knowledge of God's character or the Bible, you say that and you say tornadoes are evil, they ask questions like, why does God yeah. Why does God do this? Because they're putting an evil context on it to say it was done as a punishment and not just what natural occurrence because yeah. the world is broken. Yeah. I mean, there's a difference there to say, like, God did this to you versus it happened because Why was, why was the man born blind? I think even greater than that, I mean, Joseph spoke to his brothers, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. So the, I'm, I'm not like trying to derail, but say that even in, even in the actions of evil humans, God is at work. Absolutely. God, God doesn't, ne God never lets go of the stagecoach and goes, Ooh, man, that was bummer. didn't see that coming. Oops. Job, another great example. The physical evils that beset his body, the man-directed evils of the Sabaeans and the groups coming down and destroying his children, and the earthquakes and such that you know took all of his stuff. So, but God, and this is this is important. The God who makes blind is the God who heals the blind. There will be a day. Again, there will be a day. What is God doing now through these things? I don't know. But what does God promise to those who love him? He will never forsake us. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. That all things work together for good. Even my paralysis, even my blindness, even my deafness, God's doing something that I don't get 
and I don't understand, and it may not be through you, or it may not be to you. So I think of David and his back problems. Maybe God is using David and his back problems to minister to other people. He's using this terrible thing that's got, that David's asked three times that God would remove it. And God keeps telling David, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. God works all things according to his will. Ephesians 1, 11. Can he bring about life? Yes. He's the only one who can. He's the only one who can. I was just reading about uh, Rachel this morning. God kept Rachel from having children until he didn't. And God blessed Rachel, and she had Joseph. Rebecca was without children. She was barren for years and years and years and years. And Isaac prayed for Rebecca, and Rebecca conceived twins. God works all things to his will, according to his will. Can God bring about death? Yes. He alone has that authority. 1 Samuel 2.6, God makes alive, God kills. David says in Psalm 139 that our days are numbered. God knows our days before one of them ever came to be. Before you were ever conceived, before you were a twinkle in your mom and dad's eye, God knew your days. This is going to get into the next thing, and that is man's relationship with man is terribly, horribly broken. We have no respect and no regard for the image of God in man. That's going to lead to a lot of questions that we could have class upon class over. Some of the questions it raises. What about abortion? What about euthanasia? Good death. Yeah, Mr. Key's pretty old. You know, his hips don't work so good anymore. He's got back problems. Maybe yeah, he's 57 now. Maybe when he's 65, he just ought to go off himself somewhere. So he's not a burden to his children anymore. Euthanasia. Capital punishment. Warfare. Killing combatants, killing non-combatants, self-defense. We're going to talk about those things next week. We'll start out picking up right here with man fighting man. We'll touch on each of these a little bit in light of what God created, how it's broken, and what do we do here in our life under the sun. I do want to leave you with the takeaways. They're going to be the same takeaways next week. But the first thing to understand in all of this, in our broken world, is that God's grace is overwhelming. 
God's grace is overwhelming. I don't care how dark, how broken, God warns, God speaks, God covers. God is calling to his children, go in the little gate. Get off the highway to hell. Go in that little gate right there. Take that passageway under the bulkhead. The one that says Jesus. Second takeaway. The brokenness that came out of the garden 6,000 years ago is the same brokenness that fills the earth today. No different. Last takeaway. This is a long one, so hang with me. Only in a proper relationship with God. Only in a proper relationship with God. Only in hearing his voice in his word through the power of the spirit and exhorted in the church can we live life on this broken earth in a manner that brings him honor and brings us our greatest satisfaction. Only in having hearts and minds submitted to the living God in hearing his voice in his word, as exhorted amongst the brothers in the church and sisters, can we live life on this broken earth in a manner that brings him honor and brings us our greatest satisfaction. So next week we'll look at, in a little more detail, we'll pick up right there with man fighting man with regard to abortion, those kinds of things, and touch on them on why these are despicable or why these are acceptable and why, especially if God is the one who holds the authority of life and death. So, boom, 1030. Any, any questions, comments? Also here. There you go. I, really, I was waiting for it, yeah, and no. you didn't do it. And yeah. it was, it was Sorry. so disappointing.